0: Hello and welcome to The Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, August the 1st. In this week's podcast, I'm going to talk to a medical doctor from China who personally went out to help with the aftermath of the appalling earthquake that took place in Sichuan province on May the 12th of this year, killing an estimated 70,000 people. This is the topic of a special reportage article in this week's issue of The Lancet dated August the 2nd to the 8th. But just before that, a couple of other content highlights to give to you. We published two research articles about arthritis. They were published online around 10 days ago. The Comet study and another study looking at arthritis among children with no known cause. Also, we published a study from Japan. It suggests that eliminating the gut bacteria H. pylori could reduce the recurrence of gastric cancer among people with a history of that disease. We also published a research article which suggests that the influenza vaccine may not be as good at preventing community-acquired pneumonia as previously thought. And this week's seminar is on Meniere's disease. But returning to our main feature, earlier I spoke to Professor Emily Chan from the University of Hong Kong. She's a medical doctor but a public health specialist and after the appalling earthquake in Sushan province on May the 12th this year, she went out to join Médecins Sans Frontières to see how she could assist in the relief program there. She's the author of a special reportage article in this week's issue. Earlier, I spoke to Dr. Chan on the line from Hong Kong. Dr. Chan, obviously, we want everyone listening to this podcast to read your reportage because there's some really fascinating and quite horrifying and detail there. How did you, first of all, become associated with the relief effort?
1: I developed my interest in disaster relief since 10 years ago, and across the past decade, I have been involved in various um, earthquake relief, and as a result, um, this assessments, is um, public health uh, related uh, to, uh, towards uh, natural disaster in the region in Asia. And regarding the Sichuan earthquake, I was called upon for, um, to help in the relief um, efforts by Medicine Sans Frontieres, and as a result, I, was, um, I joined the effort on third day, the third day post-earthquake um, and um, stayed in the area for two weeks to conduct some relief um, uh, support and also um, did some relevant um, observation related to how the response is being conducted and as a result, wrote my article for the reportage.
0: Before we go into some of the detail, what's your view on the response? Because obviously there's been an enormous amount of mass media coverage about this appalling disaster. One theme that did emerge about this was, if you like, a positive response to the way China and the Chinese authorities responded to this disaster. What's your view on that, given that you are there on the ground? And you do point out some shortcomings you thought of the response uh, in your article?
1: I think overall the response was conducted in a well-coordinated manner because um, I was in other relief um, settings that is um, related to earthquakes and also even in China I was also uh, with their flood relief a few years ago. And uh, given the scale of this earthquake and also the um, the difficulty of um, conducting relief in the setting, I think um, the government managed to coordinate the relief uh, in the in a very efficient manner, at least at the during the rescue phase. Beyond that, I think um, there's a lot of challenges that the government has to face, particularly related to the demographic characteristics um, of um, population in rural China because, I mean, as we all know, I mean, in all the developing countries, a lot of population, young population was moving out in this urban setting. As a result, the older people and the young people were the ones who left behind. And that uh, gives um, particular characteristics to the uh, affected population um, in the earthquake site. We are talking about people who are affected are mostly older people and perhaps young people who were in school during the time of the earthquake. And as a result, the pattern characterized with um, the extreme of age in the demographic pattern makes it uh, quite unexpected for the unprepared, um, I guess, medical and public health teams. And as a result, um, a lot of, um, I would say, shortcomings that was described in my article is related to um, that particular problem.
0: Sure. And in terms of, again, what you saw on the ground and you comment in your reportage often when you have an earthquake you have high mortality but relatively low morbidity is that what you 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 saw i mean an appalling amount of death counted fairly quickly at that time what did you see in terms of uh, acute physical injury how are they being dealt with and also what's happened since this shift between getting over the physical shock of injury uh, so, if you survive something like an earthquake and a shift towards perhaps more the mental recovery that's required and the mental health support services that are required, is that beginning to happen?
1: One obvious uh, pattern was that uh, people who managed to be rescued, I mean, right after the earthquake, tends to have um, orthopedic related trauma. And as a result, um, a lot of them require um, surgery interventions. After all, earthquakes. A disaster epidemiological pattern tends to accumulate a lot of mortality, and as a result, people who manage to evacuate it are people who have a good chance to survive if you give them the right um, medical treatment. so I mean, we are actually left to deal with a lot of patients with surgical needs, but because of the specific demographic characteristics of um, the rural population, who tend to be old and who are people who have chronic diseases, you actually deal with patients who both have surgical needs and also chronic medical needs. And and as the um, post-disaster days I mean progresses, you actually have start to have patients who have no surgical trauma okay, people who doesn't need any surgery, but potentially um, comes in with complications from their chronic medical problems as a result of the lack of medication or treatment because, I mean, obviously medical facilities was collapsed and there's no medication around um, to treat their chronic conditions. So the disease patterns start to change quite. quite quickly after post started within the first week. And as people or medical doctors who are working in the clinics, you start to deal with a lot of chronic I mean, cases. And the other interesting aspect about the China situation is actually you are dealing with a lot of old people. I mean, in the clinic that I was working, I mean, the median age of patients is 79 years old. So it's much older than, I mean, population groups that I have been working with because previously I was working in Pakistan and um, they Kashmir um, an earthquake and the median age of patients is about 50 so we talk about two, almost two different like population group that you're working with.
0: You're a medically qualified doctor and you're a public health specialist you went there with a public health remit didn't you working with MSF to assess the situation there but did you physically carry out procedures directly helping patients because of your of your medical training?
1: I guess the original intention was to go, um, to get into the area to get a good idea about what would be the best uh, or the most needed uh, intervention that we can contribute to the area. But once we get into the site, we realize that the medical needs are huge and uh, as a medical doctor, uh, one can definitely contribute. So I was actually working as a doctor. So that, that means that I was prescribing medication, helping with certain surgical procedures. Yes, I was performing medical duties while I was there.
0: Can you just briefly describe some of the conditions that, that you experienced when, when you were there in terms of dealing with the injured people or disabled people? You were having to basically camp out, weren't you, with the survivors?
1: I guess one of the most um, unforgettable experiences while I was there was that um, there is actually a lot of, of afterquake. I mean, after the major quake in Wanchuan. I mean, like aftershock. Uh, aftershock, exactly. Yeah. Um, the aftershock is actually of high... Magnitude as well. You are talking about aftershock six point five, six point eight. So as a result, um, the um, the aftershock actually creates a lot of fear. For both the patient and even the healthcare workers, and in particular, a lot of aftershock actually happens in the middle of the night. And as a result, as medical workers, um, we our, our job aside from managing their concerns is also to make sure they are in a safe place. So we actually were moving around even within the sa- the, the same campsite like to make sure our camps are safe from falling debris and other concerns. And of course, that also adds another level of. Um, I would guess um, stress for the medical workers because a lot of our relief workers actually comes from other parts of China, who comes as a relief team, and many of them have no experience in working in an extreme setting like a post earthquake um, area. So they are also um, have to face with a lot of mental health um, um, challenges while they are working in the setting.
0: Yes, I was going to ask you about that because it's not just about the psychological and the mental health impacts on the survivors the thousands of medical staff who presumably are working in really tough and unfamiliar situation for them, must there must be a toll on, on them as well.
1: Definitely, because as far as I know, I mean, by the, by the 21st of uh, May, which is uh, nine days post-disaster, just simply in uh, Chengdu around, I mean, the the um, earthquakes um, area, affected area, there's almost 45,000 medical workers in the area from different parts of um, China, from other province and and most of those medical workers are definitely very uh, well motivated but they may not necessarily have the necessary background or experience to deal with that kind of psychological um, stress and also working environment. And thus, it's actually quite important to um, support their psychological needs um, post-working in the setting.
0: What is the situation like now in Sichuan, and what are the number one priorities for ensuring that major public health Um, problems don't occur and I'm thinking particularly of things like access to water sanitation, save water to prevent the outbreak of communicable diseases etc. What's the kind of snapshot do you think of where we are now compared to obviously two and a half months ago when the earthquake hit?
1: Gathering from my colleagues who are still working in the area from other NGOs and from the government sectors, one thing for sure is that I mean, uh, ma- massive scale of reconstruction is being conducted. Housing is definitely one of the priority of the government and infection control is definitely one of the highlights of um, the um, the efforts of the CDC within the area. But um, from another angle, I think um, there's two issues that is very important both from a middle-term point of view and from a long-term point of view. When we set up the policies and even the reconstruction effort, um, the demographic characteristics of um, of population in the area is important to be considered. As I've highlighted in the article, I mean, a lot of old people were around, and um, we have we rarely heard about um, protection policy effort to cater for this um, older population group um, in the setting. And perhaps for longer-term um, needs in the area in terms of public health, it's actually the emergency preparedness training because t one is known to be an earthquake zone. And as a result, um, this is very unfortunate to have such a large-scale earthquake to happen for the moment. Potential quakes in future time may also happen. And given the fact that this is, I mean, an unfortunate but important lesson um, for medical, public health relief workers to learn from. It's important to also empower them with um, training so that when things happen again, I mean, people can respond and help out with people who are in the most needed. So I think the public health training, uh, preparedness training is important and also potentially, um, I, mean, I mean, focus on the demographic groups that need help in that particular area of China would be important.
0: Well, it's a fascinating read, and do, everyone, please, listening to this, do read the reportage item in this week's issue of The Lancet, that's August the 2nd to the 8th, by Dr. Emily Chang, who we've just been talking to. Dr. Chang, on the line from Hong Kong, thank you very much indeed for talking to The Lancet.
1: Thank you.
0: Dr. Emily Chan from the University of Hong Kong, concluding this week's podcast.